Hello and welcome to the Vijay Himong podcast. We are a global open access multimedia channel that brings you the latest research updates in hematological oncology. In today's podcast, we hear from Deepti Radia from Guys in St. Thomas NHS Foundation Trust. Dr. Radia firstly discusses the single center experience published in the British Journal of Hematology in April 2020 looking at the management of patients with systemic mastocytosis with associated hematological neoplasm. This abstract was put together with my clinical fellow Claire Oney, looking at our experience uh, at Guy's and St Thomas's where we see a significant number of patients with uh, systemic mastocytosis, SM. Um, SM is a, a, a rare hematological neoplasm and Patients with advanced SM are a small proportion of those. Those are the patients we see in hematology. Um, and in those patients with advanced SM, there are three categories, those with aggressive systemic mastocytosis, those with massa um, leukemia. And then the majority of those are patients with SMA-Gen. And that's what this abstract was about. So they have two coexisting hematological neoplasms within their bone marrow, they have the systemic mastocytosis, and then they have the associated hematological neoplasm. Um, and those two diseases live side by side. And I guess it was just sharing our experience. We had, we described 31 patients that we, we have on our books and that we see. And really it was about the complexity of having a patient with a very rare disorder with two malignancies and deciding which one of those needed treating. Um, of our 31 patients, uh, we had the majority of patients with an AHN. Uh, the AHN is, is usually from myeloid origin, so commonly CMML, which is what we found. 10 of our 31 patients had chronic monocytic leukemia. Two had MDS, again, another common associated hematological neoplasm. And then a further 10 had myeloproliferative neoplasm, again, as with the literature, and two had MDS MPD overlaps. And we had a rare one, which a patient who had a combination of plasma cell disorders as well. So in our 31 patients, we found that we were with the literature having patients with myeloid neoplasm that was associated with the SM, and the predominant uh, numbers were as expected to be either CMML or MPD. Um, we then went ahead to look at the overall survival because the reported data is that the uh, it's a very life-limiting disorder, and patients have a median overall survival of 24 months. Um, our numbers weren't... Um, large enough for us to do any uh, data comparisons with the larger centres uh, like the Mayo. However, what we did find is that those patients with MPNs have a longer overall median survival, and those with MDS and with AML have a shorter overall survival, as would be expected. Um, the other thing we wanted to highlight was that the challenges with patients with SM and SMAH, and in particular, um, is that it's deciding which of those two diseases that you need to consider targeted treatment for. Um, patients need to be individualized. It does need to be definitely patient-focused therapy um, and trying to decide which one of those diseases. So, for example, deciding between whether the MPN or the SM is causing the end organ damage uh, really needs to be worked out. And we have the current tools we have are for the SM component, tryptase levels, 
We have the CK allele burden that can be um, helpful. And again, looking at the histology and the clinical presentation of the patient uh, to help us decide which treatment, uh, which treatment is needed to target which particular disease. Because you could target either. You could treat the SM or you could treat the other condition. And we discussed three cases to highlight this. Uh, one of our patients who presented with an indolent form of systemic mastocytosis and was treated just with mediator therapy to start with and then developed a JAT2 positive MPN, and, uh, which was ET, and uh, presented with a sagittal sinus thrombosis. His treatment was predominantly towards the MPN and managing his clotting risks. Uh, another patient presented with a very high tryptase level, a high spleen, uh, a very large spleen and liver, and symptoms suggested that it was the SM burden that caused most of his symptoms. And he was uh, able to access mitostorin and had a very good response. So I guess our abstract was to share our clinical experience and also demonstrate that for these very rare disorders and the very complex patients with SM and AHN, um, it really needs to be patient-focused and looking at targeted therapies for either. For the SM component, um, in terms of treatment, there are a few targeted therapies. Um, Cladribin has been used, which isn't a particularly targeted therapy. In terms of um, um, SM-focused therapies, uh, there is Midostorin, uh, which is undergoing a review at the present time, and Abapristinib, uh, which is a specific CKIT uh, A16V target, which has shown good results in reducing the mastocytosis burden. But as of yet, we have to wait to see whether it has an impact on any of the associated oncological disorders. Next, Dr. Radia gives us an overview of the current treatment options for systemic mastocytosis and ongoing clinical trials in the field. So the current treatment options for systemic mastocytosis depends on the classification. For patients with indolent disease, uh, their life expectancy is not significantly shorted, but their quality of life is affected by the symptoms they get because of the mastitis. And really, it's a combination of anti-mediator therapies to try and reduce uh, the effect of the mastitis releasing their mediators. And there can be several combinations. For patients with advanced disease, um, limited treatment options, to be honest. Uh, you can use cytoreductive therapy such as cladribin, which will cytoreduce the mast cell disease burden, but isn't a curative option, and patients will have a partial remission um, and then potentially progress uh, over time. Uh, targeted therapies that do exist at the moment are mitostorin uh, and avoprisinib, uh, which are now um, the latter available in a trial context, uh, which has shown some promise. Finally, Dr. Radia talks on the management of hemog patients amid the COVID-19 pandemic, as well as the impact on clinical practice. COVID-19 pandemic has had a significant impact globally uh, in all patients across uh, and, and populations. Within the hemo-onc um, context, uh, we've had to think very carefully about patients that we need to Uh, protect from the pandemic and the virus, exposure to the virus, but also think about how we continue with clinical practice and deliver therapy for those that really do need it. Um, my experience of this has been that we have become more in innovative in how we deliver our outpatients. We were doing a lot, and I think that has been across uh, the piece of video conferencing or tele telephone consultations. 
Uh, we've been delivering uh, medication to patients uh, remotely uh, and also ensuring that when we come, when patients do need to come in, we've been extra vigilant. So I think it has had a decrease in the number of patients we've had to be able to bring in for treatment. And hopefully now that the peak is down, we can continue to start and increase the number of patients who do need cancer treatment and bring them in to do that safely. If you found this podcast useful, please leave a review and subscribe on your favorite podcast app, including Apple and Spotify, so we can continue to deliver expert-led content to you. Follow us on Twitter at VJHimong and join in the conversation. Visit VJHimong.com for the latest updates in the field.